Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, I speak with Vincent Freno about the wisdom he gained from transitioning into a male. For me, it was actually more of delving into my spiritual self and allowing myself to be more spiritual because that was something that I had also um, really shoved down at a certain point in my life. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast. I am your host, Luis Mujica. I was sick and depressed until I discovered that I could make music, and then my whole life transformed because I began learning how to listen more deeply. Listen to life, to the people around me, and to my body. And that's when I realized that the body speaks through sensations, and learning this new language meant relearning my body and mind. I soon healed myself of many chronic conditions, and then began teaching others how to do so as well. Holistic Life Navigation combines nutrition, self-inquiry, and somatic experiencing to help you release stress and trauma just by listening to your own body. This podcast serves as a place to share my experiences, as well as the experiences of many others who have healed and are healing through unique, unorthodox, and unusual ways. Your time to learn begins now. I love today's episode because um, 
first off, I, I always feel very much in tune with uh, transgender people. Um, my hormonal experience is very similar, right? Because I was, I was born um, with excess estrogen and I had a female and male body. And um, my testosterone only really came in around 15 or 16. So I remember the experience of being in both worlds um, emotionally and socially because my peers treated me a certain way when they saw I had breasts and they treated me a different way when I was able to hide them. And, you know, I think what I've learned from my experience is such incredible empathy for um, most people. Because when you, when you, I guess when you live in that ambiguous place and you're especially you develop in that ambiguous place, uh, it's a place where you experience the projection of people's fear. Ambiguity is very scary in a society that draws safety from knowing, from identifying, from saying this is so. And my American culture growing up in you know southern Pennsylvania in the 90s, the 80s and 90s, um, and millennium, you know, those, uh, that society was not one that was trained for ambiguity. Ambiguity was really scary. So when you're walking around with an ambiguous body, uh, an ambiguous mind, an ambiguous, let's just say, sense of self, you can't fit on one side. And I've found myself throughout the years to be ambiguous in every situation, whether it's religion, spirituality, politics, gender, biology. I mean, you name it. I can't really pin myself to one absolute. It just doesn't work. Um, ethnicity, right? That's part of the privilege of being born uh, ambiguous. And so I really, I really get along with transgender people who are going into the experience for the ambiguity, not just for the definition of now I'm male or now I'm female. And uh, I love, you know, I loved Vincent as soon as I met him. We spent uh, hours swimming in a big, beautiful uh, lake, him and my wife and I and our little baby at this uh, pagan camp we go to in the summer. And I think what makes Vincent such a kindred soul again is that he is a witch. And, you know, witch was just the name. My wife was telling me this the other day. Witch is really just the name given to, you know, the indigenous people and the non-conforming people when um, religion was sweeping the countrysides. So if you were opposite religion, which meant much more nature-based, you were a witch. And nature is ambiguous, is androgynous. Nature doesn't really identify. And so I find um, Vincent and a lot of people like him to be very natural. And any of us, any of you listening, we can think of times in our life where we've tried to identify as something and hold on to that identity. 
And because we're all naturally quite fluid and ambiguous as, as spirits, it's uh, unnatural to hold on to something and make it so, make it uh, consistent. Um, there's something very stale and very rigid and very unnatural about it. Like I think of plastic, you know, plastic doesn't compost the same way wood does. So there's something very natural about uh, someone using hormones to transition their body into another body and a physiology that feels much more authentic to them. And I'm consistently reminded by the transgender community and my friends who are transgender um, how by their nature of not being born in a body they, they, they resonate with or feel comfortable in, they're constantly showing us that we're not our bodies. We come, we have these vessels that we have the pleasure of feeling sensation through and, you know, physically identifying ourselves through and moving through, but they're not us. Um, and I find that both comforting and um, so exciting and interesting. So I had Vincent on the show because um, we were emailing back and forth about his experience of healing the toxic masculinity and the male wounds in his family through transitioning and how to experience love for his feminine body and mind and, and, and energies as well as his masculine body and mind and energies how to love both um, versus literally cut one off from yourself. And I mean, no disrespect to anyone who um, has to surgically um, authenticate themselves, right? Feel valid and authentic in who they are via surgery. I know I did. So I speak as a, as a, as a peer, if anything. Um, and I speak for myself. I can't speak for anybody else. But I am, I'm very moved by the idea of, of radical love, loving yourself as you are. Even if you are transitioning, can I love this body as it transitions versus I have this goal about what it should look like or who it should be. And I mean, you can apply this if you are someone who deals, deals with weight issues or you want more muscles or you want your hair to be longer or shorter. It's just an idea that says, well, when I get there, I'm good. And no, baby, you're good now. So letting yourself feel that, you know, I'm good now. What does that really mean? Um, I'm going to stop talking and just let you enjoy my conversation with Vincent. So I want to welcome my friend Vincent to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And I don't know your last name. What's your last name? Oh, it's uh, Freno. Vincent Freno. Vince or yeah. Vincent? What do you prefer? Uh, I usually go by Vincent. Vincent Freno. Nice. It's amazing how you can you can go um, naked rope swinging with somebody, but, then, <laughs> <laughs> but not know their last name. <laughs> That's the age we're in. Um, yeah. So I met Vincent at uh, Vermont Witch Camp, and it was yeah. really beautiful, right? 
a couple years ago, I think. Is that when we first met? Uh, yeah, I think the first time I went was 2018, summer of 2018. So. Oh, nice. That was our first uh, camp after Lyra was born. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was really great. And I, I, I just really, I immediately felt, you know, you were a kindred spirit and I connected to your energy. And so yeah, did same. You had to all get nice. And I just felt... Um, felt so aligned and actually behind me i don't know if you can see but i still have your beautiful art on the wall oh yeah that you gifted us it's been really holding holding some good energy in this space vincent's an amazing artist um but i have him here to talk to us about something that i find so um inspiring and just uh interesting the the spiritual and the trauma informed we'll call it experience of transitioning and one one thing you had written when we were talking about this was how there's an uh, intergenerational pattern of trauma in your family with the men. I'm not sure what that means. So I kind of want to start there and then we can go deeper into your experience. What, is, what does that mean? Sure. So, um, I mean, on, on some levels, it, it literally means like physical trauma where um, men have been physically abusive to some of my... Um, even uh, still living family members um, or some who I, I knew but who passed away um, a few years ago. Um, so there is some of that. And some of it is from um, stories that on, on my mom's side of the family have been shared continually. Um, the women on that side of the family have essentially carried our family stories with them over um, the centuries. And part of that has been um, some of the ways that uh, their their partners or lovers have um, essentially uh, caused harm to them in one way or another, um, sometimes physically, other times um, just kind of in a more nebulous kind of way that um, when you when you hear the story and it just feels like uh, it, it makes sense why some of my family members are the way that they are. <laughs> Definitely. So, so the men in your family tend to express their unprocessed trauma through violence and aggression. Is that the, the pattern? Yeah. Um, not, I, I, I will say this isn't true for my current um, living uh, male family members. Um, but, uh, you know, they have some of the kind of typical things of not really sharing emotions, um, not really being too talkative about things, um, pretty, pretty standard, um, things. Um, and then, uh, you know, some, some like anger and so forth issues, but, um, again, those seem, I, I see them as stemming from, um, the trauma to the, to their mothers. Mm, mm, that makes so much sense. And, and a lot of the trauma residue and retention from witnessing and experiencing the, the violence, right. Even yeah. through the womb. So I guess what I'm curious about is before transitioning, what, what was your experience in your family as uh, biologically female at the time? What was that like? Uh, well, as a kid, it was pretty great. Uh, my parents were wonderful in the fact that they didn't really try to enforce any particular gender on me. Mm-hmm. So I played with whatever toys I wanted. I wore whatever I wanted. And pretty much gender was a non-issue for me until puberty hit. Yes. <laughs> and that was kind of when things fell apart. Um, but within my family, uh, you know, for me, it was it was great. Uh, my family members were all really loving and caring people. Um, 
you know, I, I, I did kind of hear some of the stories and things like that, but to me personally, nothing, um, you know, there was no, no harm within my family caused to me. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, my childhood and everything was, was great. And it was really, uh, folks outside of my family that caused a lot of the, uh, uh, trauma and, um, just general distress, I guess. <laughs> that, um, it's interesting though. That's my experience too. You know, everything went, cause being born intersex, it was like, I had both the hormones in me and my body was forming in two different ways. Mm. And then at home, it was so beautiful because there was no rules. I played with dolls. I wore my mother's dresses. Like it was just, I was whoever I wanted to be. But then when puberty hit, my male peers were so threatened by my femininity. And that that's where all the trauma really ensued um, socially. So that was yeah. your experience too. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's wonderful that, you know, you and I can have such supportive families because so many people don't. And it, um, in mm. some ways it can be easier to, at least as an adult, to get away from those people, yeah. <laughs> not as a kid so much, you're kind of trapped in school with them or, or whatever environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, it's like a blessing to be able to have a, a safe anchor to come back to in between yeah. the, the traumatic situations. So sure. at what point did you start to, because I know, I know my situation was like in puberty, but what point in something in you said, this isn't the right body, this isn't who I am? Like, what was that experience like for you with your family? Uh, I mean, for, for the longest time, it was just like internal confusion. And I just kind of, I would call myself asexual. But I, at the time, I didn't really know what that meant. I was just thinking like, Oh, I'm like an amoeba. There's no gender to me. I'm just like this blob that kind of exists with my friends. Mm. Um, but uh, as I got older, I actually, because um, this was in the like late '90s, early 2000s, and at that time there wasn't any of the information available that there is now about gender and dysphoria and trans and intersex and all that. It was just kind of like whatever and. So eventually I did learn about um, what being trans is and I was like, oh my gosh, this fits everything where I just felt almost at war with my own body. Um, and I see it now, and actually I'm, I'm working on it now, seeing the ways that I harmed myself mm. um, because I felt so at odds with my female self. Um, to the point where I would just, I was working really hard to fully reject any sort of femininity. Mm. I have to ask about that because I, I've done so much work about that experience in my myself as well. And when you said harm yourself, like I remember having the same experience, like looking back and realizing how internalized misogyny was for me. Um, and I'm curious if that's what you're referring to or if it's something separate. Uh, somewhat. I mean, for me, it was really, uh, and I, I don't know what it was like for you, but this was just like fully just hating parts of myself. So hating my chest, hating, um, that I had to bleed, hating that, um, socially I was expected to shave and socially I was expected to behave a certain way or dress a certain way, which is, you know, true for whatever gender you are. Um, but I just was like, 
you know, I'd still wear dresses and things, but I would like wear them with combat boots Mm -hmm. and I would get really aggressive with people. And I was just kind of, um, trying to like pump up my masculine side, uh, as, and then try and like, just push back the feminine side and being like, no, you're, you need to get out of here. You're screwing things up. You're, you're making my life hell. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that feeling too. (laughs) You know, I think, and I think that's what draws me to you because as, as trans male, you're, you're very androgynous naturally. And one of my best friends, um, who's trans masculine as well, he's, he's so, it's just such an authentic maleness that I experience around both of you that isn't like, like a drag king, which is so easy to do when you're trying to balance out this part of you, right? And trying to gain a part of you that you felt like you didn't have that feels more authentic. Like we overstretch it sometimes. Um, and there's something, and that's what interests me about you in terms of, in your words, the trans masculinity almost in a response to intergenerational trauma um, and the healing that comes from that because you you seem so balanced to me. And I'm curious if, I guess I'm just curious at what point through your journey of transitioning did you start feeling less like you had to pump up the maleness? Like when did it go from toxic masculinity, even in yourself, to something more balanced and integrated that I experience now in you? Uh, it was pretty recently. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, tell me about that. <laughs> so, so you actually, I met you um, kind of during this phase where I was uh, learning to accept myself as I am. And it's been a, a process. Um, so I would say over the past probably four, four years or so. Um, I've been gradually kind of chipping away at this. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely early on, you know, I was going like full, like punk haircuts all the time and trying to really just be this kind of like angry punk kind of person, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> but in a, uh, misguided sort of way, I suppose. Um, and, or, you know, I, I would just, uh, you know, try and just wear the flannel shirts and the, the, you know, jeans and, um, basically not have fun at all with how I look and present myself and just try and, you know, slick my hair back and look mm-hmm. as, as almost in some ways like heteronormative as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing you now, it's so funny. No, I love that you say that because that that's like, like for, for feminine men, and for intersex men, that's where the trauma comes in. It's like, we don't want to be heteronormative, right? But we do because there's this, like, I call them the cinematic drag kings. There's like this social construct of what a man is. And it's so blown out of proportion. It's like 1% of the male identity is, is what gets stretched across our, our images and screens. And that that's a source of trauma because then all this other beautiful complex parts of us that want to come out and play they're kind of suppressed behind that falsehood so i'm curious what what was the impetus of that for you did it have to do with like top surgery did it have to do with testosterone was it completely separate like what brought you to that understanding um it was actually completely separate um because the testosterone i i started um somewhat somewhat early on um and so for me, it was actually more of delving into my spiritual self 
and allowing myself to be more spiritual because that was something that I had also um, really shoved down at a certain point in my life because um, this, again, was before it was popular and cool to be pagan or a witch, um, at least in uh, my age group. <laughs> and so, you know, it was kind of like very hush-hush. And uh, so I, I, I really pushed it away. Um, and finally connecting with that allowed me to actually connect with my ancestors mm -hmm. and connect more with myself um, as a spiritual being and um, and with what I refer to as my spirit guides. Um, and they have all actually, uh, my ancestors and spirit guides have actually kind of helped me to move beyond these um, kind of ideas that I've gathered over the years from, you know, my life of what masculine and feminine are and, um, and like you said, uh, addressing that kind of trauma of just the world constantly telling you, like, this is what masculine is, this is what feminine is, and there's nothing else. <laughs> And so, so you yeah. find like there's you find so much more nuance now in your own sense of self and expression and identity. Yeah. I'm imagining. Yeah. You know, would you find that the more you delve into your spiritual practice, would you say the spirit itself like lacks, you know, gender? Like like the body has a biological sex, perhaps, or a sex that we feel more attuned to, even when we're not born in, which is the you know the that's the foundation of trans, uh, transgender experience. But what do you, how do you experience your spirit? Yeah, I'm curious about that. Um, it's funny you should say that because I've actually, um, for a very long time, um, and I had been um, kind of struggling with this uh, early on in my transition, is that for me, I don't see my you know, inner self as being one gender or another. Um, and some of that is because I feel, you know, I believe in, reincarnation and feel like I've lived multiple lives and therefore how can I be just male or just female unless somehow I've managed to only be female throughout all of my lives or only be male throughout all of my lives. <laughs> <laughs> so then with that, as you started transitioning and you started feeling more authentic in your physical body and then more authentic emotionally and identity and then spirituality came in that I hear in the last four years really freed you to be more androgynous is even too limiting in my opinion, but just kind of like whatever you are, right? Yeah. Um, from that place, how are you experiencing uh, healing of your DNA, your ancestry, the, especially the generations of men before you? How are you experiencing that piece? So um, I've gotten some kind of spiritual uh, messages, I guess I'll call them, um, from one particular, or that I'm I've tied to one particular family member of mine um, who, uh, she has kind of an interesting history where um, we, my, my family believes that she was probably lesbian, um, I think could have been queer and um, even more gender related ways because, uh, she lived during the 1800s, early 1800 or 
mid 1800s and she kept her hair cut really short and she said it was because she went to a halloween party once as a baron and um and she had to complete the costume but <laughs> she maintained that haircut <laughs> for a number of years and she she had a husband but um he had a, a mistress and they lived in the same house but she just kind of was like yeah you do your thing um so i i think that um some of it is tied with with um this particular ancestor um who i feel from my spiritual explorations um was not able to truly express whatever it is that um was part of her life um cuz uh, you know that was a time when women had very very strict roles that mm -hmm. they played and um and you know she was trying to defy that and um but wasn't fully able to from at least the stories that we know and from what i've understood um and some of it i think is being able to bring in a perspective um from both male and and female viewpoints and i personally feel like my life as i'm living it now is able to connect to the lives of those who came before me and also the lives of those who will come after me so it's kind of like seeing seeing time as more a uh a uh, a circular shape i guess and um where you know what i'm doing now isn't necessarily isolated to this specific moment in time um and so that's kind of how i view that intergenerational healing um going both forward and backwards at the same time um and part of that is involved in my interactions with my living uh family members mm, i love that and what what are those what are the interactions like you know pre and post like before transitioning after what what's I, mean, I don't know if there's even an after transitioning but yeah <laughs> i imagine it's like lifelong you know? yeah but, you know, what, what you know what is it like i'm curious what that's been like for you um it's it's been interesting uh not not too bad i've been you know i've been quite lucky again my family has been pretty supportive mm -hmm. um but initially there was a lot of confusion and kind of pushback on um my uh when i finally basically came out to everyone telling them i'm male and i am going to transition as such um you know there was a lot of like my uncle would be like oh well, you got to start doing this stuff in order to be a man or you know kind of uh those kinds of like jokes about you know well you got to you need you need to start doing these more manly things if you're going to be a man or you need to to draw more or create more manly artwork or mm -hmm. or um you know whatever uh or having um kind of just an absolute uh denial of it and just being like what's what's the problem why why do you even need to do this mm -hmm. um how how are we going to tell our friends and family members they're not going to like this and that kind of thing um but over time um i've managed to kind of i guess show my family members that i'm still the same person and um and actually my family has seen how much uh my life has improved mm. since i've gone through transition and um 
I think that has been a big thing for them because I, I struggled with very, very severe depression and anxiety um, at a very young age um, throughout my teen years and um, uh, preteen. And so when I finally started basically coming out of my shell, uh, my family members saw that and responded positively. Mm-hmm. Um, and gradually the sort of pressure to, to be one way or another sort of kind of abated a bit. And um, so pretty smooth sailing now. <laughs> I love that. You know, as you were speaking, I was just thinking, um, and obviously anything you and I say does not speak for all trans people. I'm, yeah, I'm very aware of that. <laughs> I just want to say that. But on the spiritual level of it, um, especially around the intergenerational trauma that's like gender specific, let's say, like roles women play, roles men play, and the feeling confined by those roles, especially historically when there was when it was illegal to step out of those roles, even when it could cost you your life. I just think of this um experience because it it kind of like suddenly came in a wave. Like I remember, like you said, I remember in the 90s growing up there was no uh, reference for anything like what we were. I mean, at all. I mean, doctors would literally tell me that when I hit puberty, my body would become like a man. It was like, <laughs> like my breasts would just dissolve. And <laughs> my hips would get straight. It was this whole, and I kept waiting. I'm like, I'm 15, nothing's happened. And so it, the fact that suddenly there was this uh, shift in consciousness and I see it again, maybe it's, uh, you know, as a witch, but I see from the earth this, this, this need, you know, that comes through the planet and through the people of the planet to really transform these concepts that have been so limiting and painful and have caused like significant trauma and suffering. So you see these like massive amount of people now who are just through their ambiguity of transitioning even completely reforming the way everyone views gender and and expression and what that really means, what it means to be male, what it means to be female, and really what it means to be human. Like that's where it gets to, right? And so I just was curious if you could speak on that, uh, your own experience or how you feel about me saying that or where that goes for you. Um, Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is I I have thought a lot about how I feel like there's generally an imbalance of masculine and feminine energies. And um, I, I know, you know, there are these kinds of ideas that you need to have both in order for something to be balanced. And uh, we've definitely, as a global society, um, you know, not not to lump absolutely everyone together because, you know, there's so many people in the world and so many types of people in the world. But um, in terms of kind of, you know, the places that we may just take an airplane to or, or something like that. Um, and the places where, uh, imperialism have touched, uh, those are areas where I, I perceive, um, this extreme imbalance or, you know, masculine energy is so high up and the feminine energy is way too low. And so I think that, you know, we're coming to this point where we need to restore that balance. Um, where, uh, even, you know, in terms of, the, the climate, I feel like there's that same imbalance energy-wise. Um, and that wasn't always the case for people. And um, even, 
uh, I was I recently learned uh, about um, in ancient Rome, um, which is a time that I don't really like to read much about because I, I generally it reminds me of too much of things now. <laughs> <laughs> and the Romans did so much to destroy so much of what I love about um, Europe and and and, mm. um, and history. But uh, you know, there was this time in, in even Rome where there were uh, people who were kind of a third gender mm. and were you know somewhat accepted um and so i learned about these folks called the galli mm. and i don't know if you've heard of them before uh, i'll just kind of give a brief say of what they are so they were um basically a, a priest priestess class of folks who um they followed a particular goddess cult and they were all born as men uh, male-bodied and Part of their uh, dedication to the goddess was to remove their um, testes in this ritual, and and so then they would you know wear what was at that time customarily thought of as women's clothing, and they dedicated themselves to um, this feminine goddess figure, mm-hmm. and um, and the fact that that existed during this Roman time when when they did have very strict um, gender roles. Um, kind of gives me a little bit of hope, I guess, <laughs> and um, and in a, a way makes me feel somewhat connected to my ancestors coming mm-hmm. from that region of the world. Um, but I think that you know that's one of the few stories that we have, at least from Europe, of uh, a third gender. But there there is some um, some research showing that you know maybe even Neanderthals had mm-hmm. had um, other gender classifications and whatever their societies were like. And so and that's all just to say that I think, you know, we, we need to find some of that balance. And part of that balance may be having more folks who are kind of a, a third gender or um, gender variant in some way or intersex or trans. Yeah, I, I love that. I was thinking um, when you were speaking as well, you had said something in the beginning of, in the beginning of what you just said around female and male energies. And I always think it's so um, important for people to really take that in. Like female and male energy is so much different than biology. It's two different things. And we get sex and gender overcoupled. But gender is just this this very fluid movement of energy, like changes by the second in my experience. Yeah. And, right? And we've had, you know, over time, we've, we've created archetypes that are more masculine, more feminine. Um, and that's like a visual iconic thing. And then we you know, compare ourselves to those archetypes. Um, but even when I think of uh, modern culture, like I think of our, our most recent, like 50 years, uh, gay queer culture, I think of the drag queens mm-hmm. and how that's such a modern shamanic tradition, really. You know, if you think of just so many incredible tribal cultures, I think of the Fahafa Fines in Samoa, the Wadobi in Africa, right? The Two-Spirit in Lakota. There's these, these tribes that are very ancient that have always had a spot for the in-between places. And I think that's like the beauty of shamanism and a lot of spiritual cultures is the in-between is what they work on being comfortable with versus uh, in all ways of life, like, you know, even transitions of death versus what we know and what we can change, what we can see. So when I think of the world and I think of colonization, 
I really think of colonization being, you know, what we will easily be called, you know, hypermasculine, essentially just being something we're trying to control. We're trying to oppose that natural force of ambiguity, which is just the earth, right? The earth is so ambiguous. So I, I find, I find um, transgenders and intersex and um, gender fluid, I find all these different peoples and identities more natural than anything. You know, it seems so unnatural to some, especially the lengths that some have to go to, to change their bodies. Like my top surgery is nothing natural. I mean, it was, you know, but it was, it took a lot of work, but it still feels more natural, like closer to nature, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering for you, going from that hyper-masculine identity when you were transitioning to this place that's much more authentic for you, do you feel more natural in yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm slowly getting there um, as I continue down this journey. And um, and actually one of the things that I've, um, for, for now, have decided to follow, um, which was, again, through some spiritual guidance from um, ancestors and my guides, was to not go through with top surgery and basically as a way of healing that wound in myself and uh, being able to, through that, find ways to heal perhaps some wounds of my family members um, through uh, in that realm of um, uh, wounds to the feminine or uh, to the female. You know, I, I do feel like it was important for me to to be on testosterone while I was on it because um, there were a lot of aspects of myself that I feel way more comfortable with now, uh, like my voice, for example, and just my general um, place in society. You know, I'm, you know, even though I, I dress more androgynously now, I'm socially accepted as being male. Um, maybe a kind of out there guy, but <laughs> for some folks, <laughs> my kind of guy. <laughs> but um, it's yeah, it's really been this kind of fully like visceral way of um, healing that feminine energy within myself, um, which has allowed me to feel more grounded in my body um, and more natural um, in, a, in a way, even though, you know, I, I identify as being male and um, see myself as kind of more to the masculine side of the spectrum than the, than the feminine. Um, but I've been finding this balance between the two, which has, um, been, been, uh, really, really good overall. I've, um, been surprised and, um, pleased to, to find this place. Mm. I have a final question for you. Um, okay. that came when you were saying that, you know, I think of like plant medicine and how that's used. And I, I'm seeing this very similar because hormones are, are catalysts, you know, they're, they're these like biochemicals, but to me, they're so from another planet, you know, hormones are so far out and what's, I mean, the hallucinogenics, everything comes down to a hormone, essentially what it releases in your body. So I was wondering, um, from having a hormonal experience of female, having a hormonal experience of male, what have you learned that helps you empathize with both sides and maybe why they do what they do or how they've been conditioned? Like, what's that been like? Oh, man. Um, 
I feel like I'm I'm still I'm learning um learning more about this in terms of just a, a bodily experience of things. Um you know it to a degree, you know, I, I'm able to understand a lot of what a, a woman's body goes through. And so actually in studying um herbal medicine, I was able to to follow you know very well along with um with the women's health and um of course there was part of me that was like i don't want to learn about this <laughs> at that time <laughs> but <laughs> it's um you know i have that experience where i know what it can be like for a woman to experience like intense cramping or just like your mood being completely like taken over by a mm-hmm. hormone and for men um that's just like a total different experience you can't even Im- imagine it i think um mm-hmm. and um and then from from the male side of things you know I, I have found you know there is from my experience at least everyone it will be different um i feel that there is a, a physiological um sort of block to emotionality in a certain way um i found you know i I'm, I cry a lot, <laughs> but I have found that while on testosterone, I cried much less, and um, which I don't think you know my emotional state hasn't really changed a whole lot. But it's just been that like um, physical response has has been different, um, and and also uh, uh, you know there is some of that um, testosterone gives you a little bit more of that kind of like aggressiveness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I never experienced it as being like, you know, I have rage outbreaks or, you know, some folks have, you know, been like, oh, what if you get roid rage or something like that? It's not like that. So <laughs> it's more just you you feel how um, your body kind of like holds anger in a different mm, way. Mm. But it's not going to make someone do harmful things to other people. Um, so, uh, but otherwise a lot of my experiences have just been like social experiences and how vastly different the world is for women and for men and being able to be in both of those worlds mm. and accepted in both of those worlds has been like mind blowing in some ways. Mm. Okay. Now I have to do like a, P- <laughs> a PS, <laughs> like one more question. What, what have you noticed uh, in terms of being in both worlds socially, like what's the difference of walking through the same world as a woman and walking through the same world as a man? What do you notice? Um, for Even women, in yourself, it, I'm curious. Like, we sorry, we notice oh, in yeah, yourself sure. as That's well right. as how other people how other people perceive or treat you. Yeah, and I mean, this is again all from my own experience. Um, but you know, from living life as a woman, uh, I definitely felt way more scared in the world. Um, you know, and, you know, my, my family was kind of like teaching me at, at an early age, how to protect myself from aggressive men, you know, like hold your keys a certain way, go to your car a certain way. Mm. Here's some ways that you can, um, defend yourself if you need to, uh, that kind of thing. And, um, and so for me, I felt this kind of sense of almost fear, um, as well as, uh, you know, uh, hearing from my uh, female friends how much they've been harmed by men um, in relationships or just um, even uh, teachers or or you know other folks in their workplace things like that um, the world is a lot more 
um, precarious in some ways, I think, as a woman, whereas in with the men that I've spent time with, um, who have been, you know, very much in the like very masculine side of the world. Um, the world is way more carefree <laughs> and it's more about worrying about, uh, you know, maybe some other men or, um, uh, you know, for some folks, at least for the college age folks there's that I've spent time with, there's been more of, uh, you know, wanting to, to be a certain way to, Im- to impress, um, you know, potential girlfriend or something like that. Um, and, uh, there's less concern over, uh, or there's less awareness of the ways that their actions may be, or their words may be hurting others, um, either, uh, women or men who don't fit into that same realm. Um, and so it's been really interesting just seeing how that exists in the world and being able to be in both of those worlds. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and by being in both of those worlds, I wonder, do you walk through the world the world now with like a balanced sense of ease? Or do, do, do certain feminine or female memories suddenly come up or more masculine? I'm curious how that resonates in your nervous system now as you navigate the world. Uh, well, right now I'm a little more... <laughs> <laughs> A little more on the kind of like feminine uh, or female side of um, approaching the world or as I did um, as uh, as a female bodied person, because, um, you know, uh, with the way things have been going with the uh, just recent presidency and so forth, uh, past presidency, um, the social climate has seemed very scary for me being a more visibly queer person. Mm. Um, luckily I live in a very, very open area. I would not dress or anything this way if I still lived in Virginia. Mm. Um, but where mm. I live now is very accepting. And so I can dress like this and, you know, someone at the grocery store will give me a compliment or something like that. And it's not people yelling at me. Um, but I do feel a little bit more of that anxiety now because I am presenting on the outside these feminine parts of myself that I enjoy personally. Mm-hmm. I love wearing uh, dresses actually because they're really comfortable, but I try, you know, like this is a dress now, but it's kind of just, I don't know, nothing too frilly about it or anything like that. Um and, and jewelry and things like that. But it, it does make me feel a little bit nervous about the folks who are more on the other side, you know, hyper-masculine, don't want to see anyone who's not hyper-masculine because mm. that maybe challenges them or something. Um, so I'm a little nervous of that. But um, in general, I, I do feel like I'm coming into this place of balance. And it's been, um, I will say it's been really, really wonderful to have met so many young men um, who are, you know, in their early 20s, late teens, who have been incredibly warm and welcoming and supportive of me, despite the fact that maybe I'd show up to class wearing uh, lipstick. Mm. Um, And they were, you know, pretty much like very much in the heteronormative world and fully accepted me. And and so that really gives me hope. And um, that 
some of these things are, are healing and has also given me a little bit of inner, inner peace in terms of um, facing the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I, re- I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom and your experience with us. And there's so much, just so much good um, experience here for us to sit with and think about. So thank you, Vincent. Thanks again. It's been really wonderful. For more information on Vincent, you may go to vincentfreno.com. That's F-R-A-N-O.com. And he is an amazing artist. So you can visit him and see what he has to share and offer. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. My question for you is, where do you feel the episode? Take a breath and just notice. What's your body doing right now? Sit with it. Let it speak to you. And let whatever comes up, come up. And your only job is to listen. For all the wisdom you need is right inside of you. For more information on my work, including my online courses and healing circles, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook, where I share weekly philosophies and resources to help you release stress and trauma from your body so that you can live a happier life. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.